We're midway through 2020. However, it seems as if the year never even truly caught steam. During this pandemic, our cocoon of perfectly crafted schedules, routines and plans has given way to uncertainties and insecurities, although not without a sprinkling of hope and this desire to make lemonade. Through this series, we'll take you on a journey through the hearts and the minds of people around the world and their unique experiences of living in a lockdown planet. I'm your presenter, Shagun Trisal, and this is Letters from the Lockdown. In this episode, we're going to hear from an inspiring youth who's joined Relief Work to help stranded migrant workers. A New Yorker shares her tale of contracting the virus and being confined to her bedroom for eight weeks. And our featured guest, Mishika Singh, talks about a rather unique chase sequence that she was part of during the lockdown. Finally, stick around for today's featured music. Our first letter of the episode is from Abner Manzar. Abner is a 22-year-old from Delhi, a traveller by passion from the age of 6. He says that most of his learnings in life have come from being on the road and meeting new people. It helps him understand the many layers of society and teaches him empathy. Abner believes he thrives in unknown terrains because of his love for adventure. He is locked in in Delhi with his parents, grandmother, sibling and a cousin. The streets were deserted, the shops were empty, offices craved the hustle and bustle, and the restaurants only saw Swiggy and Zomato riders. I sat at home working and wondering, when would I be able to go out and meet my friends? And an opportunity to step out came when I saw the state of the common man. I wanted to do something about it and decided to join Relief Work. I was involved in distribution of food, ration, protective masks and soaps. And all of it made me see that behind the layers of beauty and pretense lay the ugly truth. The truth we decide to look past every single day. The truth we knew in theory but have never seen in reality. And thus never understood in its entirety. As I saw people lining up behind the van carrying the food, I was shocked. These people were not beggars. They were respectable people who had worked very hard every day to earn a living. They had been trying to ensure that their children were educated so that they have opportunities in the future that the older generation couldn't even afford to even think of. But today, they all stood in a line. With their heads hanging low, they mumbled a shukriya, took their share of food and left. The stories we heard from these people were not just sad and heartbreaking, but they were infuriating as well. Our contractor is not paying us. Our landlord has thrown us out since we can't pay him. The policemen are not letting us cross the border to go home. What are we supposed to do, sir? They asked, as they looked at me expectedly for an answer. I was speechless. Two men, Vijayanath and his cousin Sanjay, were walking empty-handed on the highway when I met them. I asked them why they were empty-handed. They replied, Sir, our employer had a fight with the companions. He got the villagers to beat them up and he took away all our belongings. We had to leave in a hurry. What could we do? Luckily, I had been carrying clothes for distribution and gave both of them a fresh pair to change into. The van carrying food arrived too and we sat them down and offered them food. As the two of them ate, I walked up to another group of migrants but I couldn't talk to them for long. Speaking to them, my vision became blurry and I told myself that it's probably because I must have been looking at the sun. But sometimes talking to them also gives me hope. Like Bharat, I first met him and his companions near Gurgaon. They were cycling to Gaya, a 1100km distance. He gave us a call two days back to inform me he had reached home. 
His tired voice expressed a sense of relief. The lockdown has allowed me to get a deeper understanding of my country, its issues and potential solutions. I thought relief work would give me satisfaction, but all it did was expose me to realities I had chosen to ignore. This letter was read by Shashi Pratap Singh. In the last few months, we've come across tons of social media posts and even received letters from people who've expressed how helpless they feel about not being able to help the underprivileged or how guilty they feel for enjoying the lockdown. At a time like this, it is inspiring to hear stories of people like Abner who are making the most of their privilege by serving those in need. I'm sure he must have had several moments where he'd have thought of his own safety and even calculated the risk of passing the virus on to his grandmother at home. However, instead of going into a state of paranoia about the virus, he put on a mask and a pair of gloves and went out to help migrants who just wanted to get home. His father, Osama Manzar, also wrote to us. In what was a heartfelt letter addressed to such migrants, Osama apologizes to the poor and disenfranchised on behalf of India's urban households, who he blames for exploiting these poor men and women to fulfill their selfish desires of growth and development only to leave them stranded and helpless at a time like this when they needed us the most. Speaking of feeling helpless, but in a wholly different context, our next letter comes from Mindy. Mindy is a 32-year-old Chinese-American who lives in New York. She usually loves going out to events in the city, traveling to different parts of the world, and going on hiking and camping trips with her extended family of more than 25 members. The lockdown has put everything to a screeching halt for her. Mindy is locked in with her parents and sister. When you have a large multi-generational close-knit family, all you worry about during a pandemic like this is your family. How do you keep them safe? Before the lockdown, we didn't really know when we would need to start worrying about COVID. We had bought a few masks but didn't really wear them religiously. At the time, the only people wearing masks on the subways were Chinese immigrants who either wore masks pre-COVID for air pollution or had started wearing masks since the news came in from Wuhan. My cousin in California was getting married the following weekend. 30 of us from New York had already booked our flights to Los Angeles months ago. A week before the wedding, however, things started to escalate with COVID. But there was no lockdown in sight. What do we do? Do we go and risk contracting COVID? Do we cancel and forfeit all the money we spent on the tickets? Should only the younger generation go and leave all our high-risk parents, aunts and uncles behind? No, we couldn't do that. All or nothing. We're family. We didn't make a final decision until the day before the flight. Later that week, the airports were starting to shut down. We wouldn't have been able to make it back to New York if we'd gone. We started working from home, but otherwise, things hadn't really started to feel different yet. A week later, I started feeling aches in my ankles and shoulders. It's probably just from doing yoga at home, I thought. Then one afternoon, I started to feel so cold that I was shivering. I turned up the thermostat. In the middle of my next Zoom meeting, I was sweating profusely. I must have turned the temperature up too high was the thought this time. It was starting to give me a headache, and I never get headaches. My sister told me to check my temperature. I was running at 103.5 degrees Fahrenheit. All I could think was, shit, what are we going to do? 
I locked myself in my room. I tried to meditate, thinking maybe it was severe anxiety that was giving me a fever. I just need to calm down, I thought. It didn't go away. I telemedicined my doctor and he said, We can test you, but you probably have COVID. Stay home. Keep monitoring your blood oxygen levels. If it drops too low, you need to go to the hospital immediately. For the next eight weeks, I brushed my teeth and washed my hair in the backyard with a hose to avoid contaminating our shared bathroom. I didn't shower. I was allowed three bathroom trips a day for the toilet. The entire bathroom needed to be wiped down every time. Nobody was allowed to use it for at least an hour after the wipe down. Everyone had to wear masks even inside the house. At this point, we weren't sure if anybody else had it too or might be carrying it asymptomatically. If it got to my dad, who suffers from chronic lung disease, COVID would have been a death sentence. We needed to be extremely careful. It wasn't until another month or so I was able to fully recover and get my normal breathing back. Thankfully, I didn't need to go to the hospital. In the beginning, I was mostly stuck in bed with intense nausea, headaches and fever. When the fever finally broke, I started to have some control over my body again. I started to feel like a prisoner in my own room. There was nowhere to go. Anything I needed from the world outside my room, I needed to request for it. And even then, it was up to my sister to decide if she was in the mood to bring it to me. By the sixth week, it all started to feel normal. I was getting used to living, eating, working and sleeping all in my room. There was no longer a desire to leave the room. Is this insanity? I wasn't sure. Things are better now. I was able to get tested after eight weeks of self-isolation. Positive for COVID antibodies and negative for the virus. So I'm no longer contagious or shedding the virus. We're still very careful. Instead of relying on having the groceries delivered, I can now go out and get them for the family since I have the required immunity. But the tricky part is that people are starting to relax because they hear the city is planning to reopen soon. They think it means the virus isn't out there anymore, so they think chances are they won't contract it. Unfortunately for anyone living with high-risk family members, that's just not the case. You can't relax yet. Not until the vaccine is out. This letter was read by Shazneen Arethna. First of all, we're glad that Mindy tested negative for the virus after those eight difficult weeks. Just a simple fever can put so many of us down. Now, imagine contracting a disease which is killing thousands every day. What struck me most about Mindy's letter was how initially most of her worries were about ensuring the safety of her parents but ended up catching the virus herself. While Mindy's concern for her parents stems from the fact that she lives with them, several others who live far away from their folks wrote to us about how helpless they felt that they couldn't be there for them. Take the case of Seema Express, who had a quirky interaction with her mother who lives alone in Kanpur. Seema's mother recounted an odd incident that had happened the preceding night. She was woken up by a sudden sharp pain in her forehead. Once fully awake, she headed to her bathroom and was surprised to find a big dark bruise on her head when she looked in the mirror. Seema's mother truly believes that that night, the gods had taken her away. But on realizing they had the wrong person, the gods decided to push her back down again to our earthly realm. 
in the process of which she must have received a bump on her head. After all, she believes gods make mistakes too. Speaking of strange encounters of the non-human kind, the final letter of the episode is by our featured guest, Mishika Singh. Mishika is a lawyer mostly working in the field of human rights and women's rights. She has been actively involved in defending the rights of those wrongfully detained or arrested during the anti-CAA protests. Since early this year, Mishika has been working with a group to provide relief, rehabilitation and legal support to over 400 riot victims in Northeast Delhi. She's locked in with her family in Delhi. Today, I got to know that one of my very close friends tested positive. Today, I got to know that one of my very close friend's partner lost his job. They had just started a new life together. Today, I realized that the farther I have come from this lockdown, the closer I have moved to Corona. But today, I write to you to tell you something on a lighter note. I am hoping by the end of it, you will have a smile on your face. Just like I have one right now, thinking about the incident I want to share with you. Last month, I was supposed to join one of the government departments. Keeping my belief system on the side, I decided to accept a job with the central government. If you know anything about me, you will know that I am not its biggest fan. <laughs> but it looks like the government did not even bother to do a simple Google search to be able to figure that out. I managed to convince myself too that system ko badalne ke liye system mein ghusna zaruri hota hai. So anyway, I requested my brother to drop me at the place where I was asked to come for the paperwork. I was told it would take me an hour. So I told my brother that it would take a couple of hours. <laughs> like I said, I don't really have a lot of faith in the Sarkar, much less in the Sarkari timelines. So he dropped me off and left. Inside, I waited at the reception for someone to come and get me. Half an hour and multiple rounds of calls later, I realized I was at the wrong place. Now my brother was already gone, so I decided to see how far the place was. Roughly 2 kilometers. I figured that if I sprint, I would be able to cover that in 20 minutes, which is what I told them over the phone. The office being Sarkari wasn't very about it, so I mapped the way and started walking. My washed hair went in all directions, the Delhi heat, the dust and the sweat did not get along with the little makeup I had put on either. Let's just say that there was a lot of huffing and puffing involved. My story begins and ends when I was halfway through. I approached Mansing Road. With India Gate on my left, I decided to slow down and take a few pictures. This was, after all, the first time I was stepping out during the lockdown. To my shock, I turned around to find a monkey staring at me, baring its teeth. I decided to not look in its direction and just walked away. But it seemed like the monkey was having a boring lockdown too and decided to chase me down for a good distance, joined by its companions along the way. The only thing I could think of at that time? This is how it ends. I will be attacked by a monkey during a lockdown on an empty road with no one to help me. I also thought about the fact that if this were to come true, people won't feel sorry for me but would probably just laugh. I would too if I were them. However, thankfully, after an endless chase, well, being chased by a monkey during a lockdown definitely seems endless, the monkey got bored and decided to let me go. If I made you think I was huffing and puffing earlier, you would have paid a million bucks to see my face at this moment. By the way, 
I did not take the job. I was expected to come thrice during the lockdown. No, thank you. Bye-bye. This letter was read by Archita Trisal. 15 years from now, when some of us will be telling tales of how we survived a pandemic and the lockdown, Mishika will probably be surrounded by kids listening to every word of how she was frantically running around India Gate with a bunch of monkeys chasing her. I personally find the fact that cities like Delhi and Mumbai are opening up to be quite absurd. The government opened up its offices in Delhi at a time when the virus hadn't even taken its ugliest form. I can't understand how governance can only be fully carried out from sarkari offices and not remotely. But many common citizens found out that their services were categorized as essential and thus found themselves exempt from the lockdown. Senko, a banker by profession, had his daily commute of at least 30 minutes reduced to a sweet 15-minute drive once the lockdown came into effect. And while he was never without rubber gloves, protective eyewear and a double filter mask, he couldn't help but feel tense to be at work in a public dealing place. He goes on to say that customers rolled in stealthily and in small numbers, but they surely showed up, including a 70-year-old uncle who wished to renew his FD and the urgent dude for the imperative passbook entry. Before moving on to the final segment of the episode, a quick shout out to Udita Chaturvedi, the producer of the show, to Payal Rathore, the audio engineer of the show, to Nishant Nagar for the theme track and to all the voice artists who helped us lend authenticity to these letters. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Letters from the Lockdown or drop us your feedback, comments and suggestions at letters-from-the-lockdown@gmail.com. And with that, we bring you the featured music of the episode. As today's treat, we have for you a track that's bound to put you in a great mood. This song comes from a bunch of guys who are engineers turned musicians and actually brand themselves as a music-based startup. Twin Strings was formed by twin brothers Sagar and Sahil and after frequent collaborations settled on a lineup consisting of Mohiddin on percussions and Manav Johan on vocals. While they might have received a significant amount of adulation for their high quality covers of Bollywood tracks, they're also surely making a mark with their soulful originals that can only be described as positivity-fueled pop anthems. You can check their music out on your preferred platform and follow them on Instagram at Twin Strings Official. Our featured music of the day comes from Twin Strings with their track Tujhse Hoti Hai Subha. I'm Shagun Trisal. You've been listening to Letters from the Lockdown. Ye pyari si raaton ke sapne sapnon mein tum tujh mein से होती है सुबह 